0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. I have said many times I love to see young people serving the Lord. You know, it's amazing what God can do with youth. And I think that's why he said, suffer the little children to come unto me. God, he could look down and see great potential. David was a 15-year-old shepherd boy, and look what he did through the life of Daniel at 17. But you know what? We cannot just strictly say God only uses young people. Caleb was 80 years old when he said, I want that mountain. So the thing is this, God uses us all. He takes us like we are, and he knows who we are. He knows where we've been, what we've done. He knows about our life. He knows about our history. He knows about our shortcomings. He knows about... Everything, every inch about our life, God knows. And yet he still chooses to use you and me. If God had wanted to, he could have used a songbird. Think about it. He could have spoke down in the eons of ages years ago, and he could have said to the little sparrow, I want you to fly around this earth and echo the good news that Jesus saves. He didn't choose to do that. Because God is omnipotent. Think about what he could have done with a snow-covered mountain. As the sun would beat down upon it and the water would run down the rocks and the crevices and maybe into some beautiful Sea or body of water. God could have. Because he's omnipotent. breathed upon that snow covered mountain. And said to the trickle of the water. I want you to echo the sound. Jesus saves. But he chose not to do that. God could have looked. At a mighty oak tree. And said now. When the wind blows. I want you to carry the sound of the gospel. Jesus saves. But he chose not to do it. He could have. He chose to use you and me. Whether young, whether old. All of us have a purpose. God has a plan for each and every one of us. And I pray you are earnestly seeking to do what it is that God would have you to do. Because at some point in all of our lives, the sun will set. And we will look back on this earth, we will look back on this life and come to realize this, that only what we have done for Christ will last. Well, that's sermon number one. Amen. As we begin to launch into the Christmas season, I'm speaking today on this subject, preparing the world for the Messiah. Preparing the world for the Messiah. And I pray that this message will be a blessing to your heart. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis. And I want you to find the scripture. If you're turning in your Bible this morning, Genesis 3, 15 they will get this scripture on the screen as well as many others for you for today's message. By the way, uh, we're getting close to our Bible prophecy series that is coming up in the month of January. This particular scripture that we're looking at today is the first prophetic verse in the entire Bible talking about the prophecy of the blessed Son of God. And so, Keep that in mind as we look at this important scripture. It's a scripture that when you look at it, it it may be hard to understand on its surface. And I'm going to do my best to explain to you what this verse means. In Genesis 3.15, Moses is the writer, by the way. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Pentateuch. The scripture says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Wow. That's a powerful verse, a prophetic verse. And I want to break it down for you here in just a moment with this message today, Preparing the World the Messiah. It's hard to believe that we are now in a time where our attention and our focus is on the Christmas season. And as we get to this place, we're going to be looking at some, I believe, unconventional text, Christmas text, that I pray will be eye-opening for you and that will indeed be a blessing to your heart. And so we're not going to be predominantly looking at Luke chapter 2 or Matthew chapter 1 or Isaiah chapter 53, which by all means, and I, I think we're all familiar with those passages of Scripture as we relate to Christmas, but I don't want to begin the Christmas season preaching from those familiar passages of Scripture, not because we don't love those texts, we certainly do. We truly do. For sure, those passages give great reference to the birth of Jesus. But there, I believe, is a great prequel to these incredible scriptures. And so this year, beginning at the Christmas season, as we now focus our hearts on that, I want to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And I want to look at the themes that foreshadow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to give you a great spiritual truth this morning, and that is this. Many of the circumstances that God brought his people through and the means or the vehicle that he would bring them through, it would prepare them for the longing and the promise of the Messiah. And we go all the way back to Genesis to see this in the truth. I want to be clear that both... The Old Testament and the New Testaments, they work in complete harmony on the subject of the coming of the Messiah, both of them. Both in Matthew's Gospel and also in the Gospel of Luke, we find the genealogy of Jesus. Now this is important. And I think that every Christian ought to be familiar with this. You may not have it nailed down to where you could teach a Sunday school lesson on it, but I think every born-again believer ought to be familiar with the genealogy of Jesus. It's important, I believe, for two reasons. And we can go back to Matthew and Luke primarily for the, for the base of this, but For two reasons, and listen carefully. One, because God promised that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham and David. The other reason is the connecting element of the Old Testament. And so for a quick moment today, I want us to look at this. And I want us to see, I want us to look at both of these Recorded genealogies and see how they begin and how they end. And the interesting thing in my study is this that when you look at Matthew's presentation of the genealogy of Jesus, Matthew works backwards, but Luke works forward. Let me give you the idea, and I want you to see what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, the Bible says, The book of the generation of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Watch how this moves backwards. Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas and his brethren, and Judas beget Phares and Zara of Thamar, and Phares beget Ezra, and Ezra beget Aram, and Aram beget Aminadab, and Aminadab beget Nasson and Nasson beget Salmon, and Salmon beget Boaz of Rechab. And Boaz beget Obed of Ruth, and Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David the king, and King, and David the king beget Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Now, look at this. You go back to verse one, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. So this moves backwards. But then in Luke chapter 3, Luke works forward. In Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 34, which was the son of Jacob, which was the son of Isaac, which was the son of Abraham, which was the son of Thyra, which was the son of Nahor, which was the son of Saruk, which is the son of Rog, which is the son of Halak, which is the son of Heber, Which is the son of Salah, which is the son of Canaan, which is the son of Ephrek, which was the son of Sam, which was the son of Noah, which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Maliel? which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. So think about this. When you carefully apply the study of the genealogies, you clearly see in these genealogies that the writers of these scriptures, they're telling the stories and they're reminding us of the ways that God has prepared the world to receive the Messiah. That's very important. But not only do the gospel writers link Jesus back to the Old Testament, But Jesus does that as well himself. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the psalm. And so in these words of Jesus, he proclaims this, that the gospel, his life, and his ministry is the quintessence, or that means a, it was a perfect example of the Mosaic law, prophetic promises, and that the somnistic worship that can only be seen in the Old Testament If he opens our minds to make his mysteries known unto us. And so when we read a scripture like this and we're comparing genealogies going all the way back to the Old Testament, Jesus clearly articulated the center and heart of the Old Testament was the foreshadowing of his person, his coming, his ministry. And if you remember in his resurrection or after his resurrection, While walking on the road to Emmaus, Jesus joined in a conversation about his life and about his death. In fact, notice this in Luke chapter 24 and verse number 25, and I'm going to read for you this morning through verse 32. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, and all the prophets he expounded unto them, and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, as it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And so this is why we're going to devote some time of the Christmas story to the Old Testament and the coming of the Messiah. God chose to set the stage for the coming of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And so I want us to look again at Genesis 3, and I want to read these scriptures for you, verses 13 through 15. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed. You know, really, when I, I could stop and preach another message right here. Because we're living in a day and time where people do not want to take responsibility for their own actions for their own circumstances. And and Adam was the same way. Eve said, the devil made me do it. Adam said to God, the woman you gave me made me do it. So, I mean, you think about that. You remember the old comedy show in the 60s, Flip Wilson, he said, the devil made me do it. Some of you may remember that. But that's... That's something that we, we, we try to... We're living in a day where we're not willing to be even admitting our own faults and our wrongs. By the way, that's the first premise of coming to a holy God and confessing our sin and our transgressions and being willing to step up and say, God, I did this and I'm sorry against you I've sinned. And take responsibilities for it. We're never going to get ahead with God. If we keep blaming every wrong in our life. On somebody else. She said. The serpent beguiled me. And the Lord. In verse 14. God said unto the serpent. Because thou hast done this. Thou art cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly. Shalt thou go. And dust shalt thou eat. All the days of thy life. And here we go with this. Prophetic verse. The first mention in the Bible of the coming redeeming savior. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now you can only imagine the hope and the joy as Adam and Eve were in the garden listening to God pronounce this judgment on the devil. You can only imagine The hope, the expectation, the joy, the sense of relief that Adam and Eve had when God spoke these words. Because let me remind you of something. After the fall, they were beaten down. They were broken. They were shamed. And most of all, truly, they were guilty. The devil had greatly deceived them. And by the way, he's still deceiving people today. But as God had a habit of conversating with Adam and Eve in the garden, they listened to him. They listened to the voice of God as he tells the devil that there is coming one that would turn the tables on him and defeat him forever. They are hearing this conversation. And so their hearts are overwhelmed with joy. So the first thing that I've listed for you this morning, if you're following in your bulletin, is this. Number one, Genesis prepares us for the one who will defeat the devil and his evil once and for all. But listen to this. But waiting for God to send this Redeemer would become incredibly difficult. Waiting would become incredibly difficult. People wanted it right away. They didn't, they didn't want to wait. They wanted it right away. They were patiently waiting for the Messiah to come immediately. They wanted him to come right away. And by the way, they were waiting for him to come the first time. You and I are patiently waiting for him to come the second time. We're patiently waiting for that. And and there's no doubt in my mind that as God spoke these prophetic words to the devil, Adam and Eve leaped with joy that the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Defeater was going to come. Perhaps through this verse, as, as God made this plan, known to his earthly creation, maybe perhaps every time a male child was born, Adam and Eve could have very possibly thought and been overwhelmed, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one, maybe this is the one, but as time went on, they were disappointed. And then perhaps in the process of time, they quit looking for this one and this one. They said, he's not it. He can't be it. And this one and this one. And maybe sooner or later, as they're waiting patiently, maybe all eyes then, all of a sudden, as Enoch came upon the scene, maybe all eyes focused on him. In fact, in Genesis five twenty one, the word says this, and Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. Maybe he's the one. After he begat Methuselah three hundred years, and begat sons and daughters, and all the days of Enoch were three hundred and sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God. Maybe he is the promised one of Genesis three fifteen, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch was a bust. He wasn't the one. Then came Noah. Maybe maybe Noah's the one, and he was righteous for a while, but. He became a disappointment in so many ways, and he died. And then came Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Maybe he's the one. Joshua, maybe he's the one. Then came all the judges and all the prophets. And according to the word of God, all of them fell short and died. And so all throughout the Old Testament now, here's what I want you to see. As the Scriptures promised the one, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, who would come to deliver all of humanity from the clutches of Satan, God's people would have to watch, pray, and wait. But going back again to Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, God did give a small glimpse into who they should be looking for and who they should be waiting for. And when you look again at Genesis 3.15 and you carefully study it in this promise of God, God was describing how that Eve would bear children and through the process of time, after many were born, he said this, the seed of woman. Now look at this very carefully. And when you study this now and you make the application, the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15 is a little difficult I think to get or grasp from its surface and I think it's a little odd for two reasons. Number one, women do not have seed. Number two, women are not normally included in the genealogies. We've read two of them this morning. Most of the time, everything is traced back to the father. And so this is why, by the way, Sarah tried her best to give Abraham a son through Hagar. But here in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee, the woman, and between thy seed, her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Now, God doesn't mention anything about the man in this particular passage of Scripture. And this is why we have the first promise of the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember the prophecy that was given, and I want you to look at this. Fellas, get it on the screen. In Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, and this is incredible, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Brother David spoke about signs in Sunday school this morning. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And by the way, let me remind you that as we get closer and closer to the Christmas season, Do not forget some of these cardinal doctrines of the faith. Jesus Christ, I don't care what this world says, how many pamphlets they put out, how many videos they want you to watch, how many things that they're saying and how much they want to be politically correct. Jesus Christ was the virgin born son of God. And there has never been another virgin birth since this. I don't have time to preach that message today, but let's move on with this. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so as the Messiah would come and God had declared, it, God said this, that this Messiah that was going to come, he would have to die. And the seed of Eve, too many now, would crush the head of Satan Although Satan would strike his heel like a snake before being defeated, Satan did bruise the heel of the Lord with the temporary venom of the cross. But when Jesus died and rose from the dead, he did crush the head of Satan. This is the prophecy. Now look at Genesis 3, 7. I want to read verse 7, 10, and 21 for you. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord, look at this, make coats of skins and clothe them. Adam and Eve, you know the story. They were ashamed about their sin and they were clothing themselves with fig leaves. You know the story. They're trying to, they're, they're trying themselves to manage damage control their sin. But, but God has another solution here. He covers them, but He doesn't cover them with vegetation fig leaves he covers them with skins this is interesting because by the way we're not told what innocent animal had to die to clothe the guilty that it's not specifically spelled out in the scriptures but Isaiah and Paul describes the substitutionary pattern that uh, we have reference to in Isaiah 61 verse 10, the word says, and I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. And then Paul said this in Galatians three twenty-seven: for as many of you, as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Now look at this, another glaring foreshadowing of God's preparation is seen in the story of the flood. And that is, God was saying in the story that he was going to judge the world because of sin. In Genesis 6, 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You know the story, God told Noah to build the ark. He told him to put, he said, I want you to put one huge door on the ark. In Genesis 6, 16, and a window shalt thou make to the ark and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above and the door of the ark thou shalt set in the side thereof with lower, second, third stories shalt thou make it. So the door was the only way that any living thing could avoid God's judgment. And we all know this, that it was by faith that Noah and his family entered into the ark. All right, I want to share this with you quickly. Number two, Genesis prepares us for the exclusive salvation in Christ and how in him we are eternally secure. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father but by me. In John 10, 9, he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in whom ye have trusted, after that ye have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed... Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So here's the thing, church, as we move into the Christmas season, and we're going all the way back to Genesis to see how God was preparing way back then the world for the Messiah. Genesis, it overflows with the great promises foreshadowing that great prophetic truth, In Genesis 12, God promises Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. In Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abraham a son. In Genesis chapter 22, God promised Abraham that he would provide a sacrifice. And so we know that God has been true to his word. God has been true to his word ever since we have had the word. The word is settled in heaven forever. And here's the thing. We're living in a society today where people are no longer wanting to live by and go by the word. I'm telling you this. You can believe in everything that comes down the highway. You can read all of these pamphlets, these books. You can do all of this study. But I will tell you this. You cannot escape the truth the Word of God, according to the Word, is settled in heaven forever. You cannot go wrong by holding on and trusting in God's Word. God cannot lie. Amen. Believe the truth, Believe the Word. Don't get separated from the Word. They're going to come out with soon, if Jesus tarries is coming, a Bible that fits every kumbaya in the world. They're going to take out the personal pronouns of the Scripture. They're going to come up with a Bible. It's a one-world Bible. It's going to be an Antichrist Bible. It's going to be a Bible that's used in the last days where it talks about every religion, where it talks about every person that has called himself a God. And I pray, I do not live long enough to see this. I pray that the trumpet will sound before It appears on the earth, but I will tell you this, there's going to come out in the season of humanity, if Jesus, we need to pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. I do not want to be alive on this earth when people make the holy word of God that we hold in our laps this morning, a book of hate speech a book of where they have outlawed what it says because it's too narrow-minded. And the word does say that the road is narrow. The word does say that Jesus is the only way. Not some of the ways, but he is the way. Listen, we have in our hands this morning the living word of God. There is no substitute for it. We cannot be compromising with it. This is the only book. And if Jesus tarries his coming, there will be a a space of time on this earth. where this book will be against the law. Let me ask you this. Do you own more than one copy of the Bible? Do you? you, you? I'm telling you, I, on my desk, if you walk in my office, I got a stack this high on my desk, and I've got all kinds of uh, translations on my shelves. I've got Bibles at home. I got a Bible in my briefcase. I got Bibles everywhere. They could walk in this church house today and tell everybody to throw them in the aisle and pick them up. And you know what? Wednesday night, I'll stand up here and preach out of another one. And the Sunday after that, I'll preach out of another one. I got a Bible that will last me a long time. You need to have more than one Bible. You think about this. God has been true to his word. He was true then, he's true now. Everything in this book you can believe, the devil wants you to doubt it. That's why all the way back he asked Eve this question, hath God said? He put the seed of doubt in her mind. Number three, Genesis prepares us for the ultimate sacrifice of God's only begotten son. And there's a specific reason for where God told Abraham, to offer Isaac. You may have never seen this before, but in Genesis 22, he said, take now thy son, thine only son. And have you ever really stopped to notice the play on words that God says here to Abraham? He didn't say, listen now, we got, we got a problem. Listen, I'm going to come through for you, but look, you, you need to go through the motions. You need to deal with this. Get your son up there and, 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 and offer him. God went as far as to say, this, Abraham, I want you to take your son. That right there is problem, a problem that none of us could get past. Every person in this auditorium, including myself, would look into the face of God and say, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing that, God. Here I am. Put me on the altar. But I ain't doing that. And if we're going to be honest with one another, every person in here would say, you're right, preacher. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But it, God didn't stop it. He didn't say. He, he said, Abraham, take your son. Thine only son. Whom thou lovest. God really drove this thing down into the heart of Abraham. Thine only son. It was a, whom thou lovest. It was a reflection on what was going to happen. God, God could do this. God, it broke his heart, but he could take his only son. Where he would, he would provide the ram in the thicket for Abraham. But God knew when he laid Jesus on the cross that there was no substitute for him. Jesus had to die. He said, get your son, look at this, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him for a burnt offering. Uh, look at this, this is important. Upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And the location here is very significant because the place where God told Abraham to offer Isaac would soon be called Jerusalem. Jerusalem. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Oran the Jebusite. Now, look at Isaac as he's carrying the wood on his back up to Moriah. Genesis 22, 6, and Abraham took the wood the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went, both of them together. And now I want you to picture Jesus carrying the wood, carrying the cross up Calvary's hill. In John 19, verse 17, And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And so for centuries, the Israelites were pointing to this hill Moriah, this place where Abraham had offered Isaac, they were believing in a future provision, a future atonement for centuries. The Old Testament saints, they saw the Messiah as one who would come, the Christ who would come, God's Redeemer in this event. And set their hopes and faith in him. Listen carefully. And so the Old Testament clearly, clearly prepared. And now even today prepares the world for the Messiah. They are looking for him to come the first time. We are looking for him to come the second time. God chose in the beginning. All the way back to Genesis. To prepare the world for the Messiah. Messiah. Let me ask you this question, and I want our musicians to come forward. And I want to ask you this. Have you prepared for the coming of the Messiah? Truth of the matter is this. He's here. He's already been here. But the coming of the Messiah that you and I need to be concerned about right now is this. The Bible says that the trump of God will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together and we will meet the Lord in the air. And the scripture says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He is going to return with a shout. Are you prepared for that? Are you ready for that? Because the Bible says this, in the day that thou thinkest not, the Son of Man will come. My question today and in the next couple of weeks will be this: Are you rapture ready? Are you rapture ready? You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.